Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So, it's been a while. About six months or so since we last had an episode. A couple of reasons over that. Um, if you remember, I had just started a job that was making it kind of hard for me to actually podcast on a consistent basis. And then I went on vacation for a couple of weeks to Asia and lost a lot of momentum there. And then when I came back, the job got even a little bit more intense. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, eventually, I no longer had at that job, and I took a little bit of time for myself to work on mental health and all that. So with about two months left in the year, we are back finally. Uh, for this episode, rather than go over this past week's box office numbers, we'll go ahead and get back into the groove of things, you know, do a little bit of a catch-up, look at the last six months of films, kind of like more at a high level, you know, see how my predictions went on which films would make $100 million opening weekend, make a million a billion dollars worldwide, and just gross $100 million overall. Um, and we'll also look at a couple of high-level stories impacting the box office industry so far. Um, and then, of course, you know, we'll also go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, and then we'll, starting next week, we'll kind of be back into the regular swing of things as usual. So first, let's look at some of my predictions, right? At the beginning of the year, I had pegged eight films as uh, predicting to open over $100 million on the opening weekend. Uh, Ant-Man and the Walks Quantumania, Super Mario Brothers, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Transformers Rise of the Beast, Indiana Jones 5, The Marvels, and Dune 8. Um, I believe, yeah, that is... Uh uh, oh, my bad. That's actually seven and not eight. Um, so seven films I thought would be able to get there. Before I went on break, I was two for two. Ant-Man and Super Mario both made uh, over $100 million, $106 million and $146 million, respectively, on the opening weekend. Uh, Dune 2 has since been moved toward next uh, to next year for various reasons we'll talk about later. Um, so, you know... Um, that's kind of a wash. Um, but unfortunately for me, while I did call correctly call it Guardians would open to over $100 million since it made $118 million, both Transformers and Indiana Jones fell short, making only about $60 million each on the opening weekend. In particular, Indiana Jones was a pretty big flop uh, and miss, swinging the miss on my part. However, if you exclude the Dune moving, we're still on track to actually have uh, six films by the end of the year. Uh, we both we ended up with both Across the Spider-Verse and Barbie, making $120 and $162 million respectively their opening weekends. Now, this upcoming weekend that was going to be um, is is the Marvels, which is the last one I predicted to open to $100 million, and I think superhero fatigue is in full effect. It's predicted to try open to less than $60 million at this point, so you know I might be uh, six for seven uh, more or less uh, in terms of how many I predicted. So, need a minor milk to get there, or maybe you know, another film later this year somehow surprises. Now, as far as films that will gross at least $100 million over their entire domestic run, I started the year off with some misses. You know, I I, uh, I predicted Megan and made $95 million, Shazam cratered uh, with $56 million, and then I thought Guns and Dragons could get there. Unfortunately, uh, it fell a little bit short at only $93 million. Now, we did get a surprise earlier this year with uh, Scream 6 hitting $108 million, which is nice to see. And then moving into the summer, right, while I was gone, of course, you know, we, we talked about the films that did, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy did open to $100 million, as did uh, um, uh, Across the Spider-Verse and Barbie. Um, but, you know, uh, we also got uh, Fast X making $145 million. Little Mermaid made $298 million. Uh, actually, it was just out of $100 million on its opening weekend, $95 million opening. Um, and then, uh, again, the cost of Spider-Verse is now at $381 million. Um, the Flash somehow uh, made it to $108 million after a terrible opening weekend. Um, Elemental Pixar, actually, despite a lackluster opening, has also lugged it out to $154 million uh, domestically. Mission Impossible 
Festival, you know, did okay, $172 million. But, of course, that is uh, that came one week before Barbenheimer, um, which ended up uh, cutting its legs off. But, you know, Oppenheimer kind of made up for it, opened at $82 million and legged out to $324 million domestic. And, again, Barbie opening to $162 million, legging out to $636 million domestic. On top of those, there were a couple of surprises this year uh, that I didn't predict at all. Um, we had... Um, we had uh, Sound of Freedom is currently sitting at $184 million domestic. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie I thought could maybe get there, and it did, $118 million domestic. Um, and then, of course, we have a Taylor Swift's uh, Eras Tour concert, which, again, was not on the docket at the beginning of the year. No one could have predicted that. That ended up as currently sitting at $165 million. You know, Plus, this last weekend, we also had Five Nights at Freddy, opening a day and date on Peacock, but still, you know, after a very strong opening, even though it did kind of fall off a cliff this second weekend. Um, sits at 113 million domestically after a strong opening weekend. And these are on top of the six films again that I mentioned that I thought would open $100 million, plus the Marvels, which I still, still think should get $100 million by the end of its run. And for the rest of the year, we have uh, Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbird and Snakes, which I think we'll, we'll get there, um, as well as Trolls 3 um, in two weekends. And then we also have Wiss from Disney over Thanksgiving. Mid-December, I have the, uh, Warner Brothers Wonka, as well as Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom, though we'll see how that goes. Though, you know, uh, it, we still were able to get there with... Um, uh, with... with uh, um, or with the flash, so who knows? Um, and then illumination, you know, animated films usually will do well. Now this might not do it by the end of 2022, uh, 2023, but you know, so I think over its run, migration maybe be able to get there as well. I did have the Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel, but I did also get moved to next year. And then the final benchmark I was predicting was films that would be, make over a billion dollars worldwide. I did correctly call that Super Mario Brothers would be uh, the one most likely to do so. Guardians fell short, only $845 million. And of course, they're the subpar sewings of Transformers, Indiana Jones, but they weren't going to get there, even though I thought that they were maybe. Um, Fast X came up short, you know, it was another maybe of mine, $714 million by the uh, worldwide one. Out of nowhere, though, it was Barbie who ended up being the biggest film of the year at $1.44 billion to date. Oppenheimer, surprisingly, is actually uh, in uh, coming up in third uh, with $945 million. So, you know, I actually have a bet going on that it will be get to a billion dollars by the end of the Oscars award season. So let's go ahead and look at some other films that came out over the last couple of months and then kind of the trends that we can determine from them. So first off, I think the biggest winner of box office, at least in terms of profitability this year, has to be horror films. Uh, you know, we already mentioned Scream 6. We already mentioned Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, but, you know, Bloomhouse, you know, keeps on winning. You know, they had uh, – oh, also, forgot, we forgot, I forgot to mention Megan, right? Megan also uh, did pretty well on it for its budget. But, yeah, Bloomhouse keeps on winning. You know, Insidious, The Red Door, opened to $33 million on a budget of $16 million. And currently, since it's $82 million domestic, $186 million worldwide. A Talk to Me from A24 made $69 million worldwide 48 million domestic on a budget of about four and a half million dollars um another win uh let's see the nun 2 made 86 million domestic and 267 million worldwide on a 38 million dollar budget uh saw x um uh made 52 million dollars domestic 92 million worldwide on a budget of 13 million and despite poor reviews the exorcist believer um on a 30 million dollar budget still has made 63 million domestically and 126 million worldwide so not as big a, as a success just because of the higher budget and, and a bit of a smaller take, but still uh, pretty good overall there for The Exorcist Believer. 
On the flip side, it looks like you know the raunchy R-rated comedies haven't really been panning out. You know, they still, they still can be a thing of the past. No hard feelings. You know, uh, with Jennifer Lawrence opened fourth in its weekend at fifteen million dollars and currently is at eighty-three million dollars on a forty-five million dollar budget. So not quite at profitability. And then you know we also have uh, the Universal R-rated dog comedy Strays flopping with a thirty-five million dollar global take on a forty-five million dollar budget. Um, moving then to animated films, you know, uh, they, 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 they aren't as, as prevalent, obviously, um, but they, if they are managed well, like we mentioned, Elemental, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and of course, Spider-Verse um, can do very well, you know, also Mario, and then, you know, we also had saw Paw Patrol, uh, Mighty Movie, making, 100, made, making $62 million domestic on a budget of $30 million and $181 million worldwide. On the flip side, if they're not managed well, like DreamWorks did with Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, that made only $15 million uh, domestic on a $70 million production budget. So, yeah, not great. Um, now, you know, also we're getting into the award season. So, you know, obviously we have more auteur-driven films, awards-types films that, you know, may have mixed results profitability-wise. But, you know, I always say that, you know, these films are hope are kind of trying to play the long game, you know, and, and rely on award season to some degree to kind of get butts and seats for them over the longer run. Um, and, you know, there are also some extenuating circumstances. So, for example, right, Wes Anderson's uh, new film Asteroid City opened with the highest per theater average of the year, actually, $142,000 in its limited release. It's only made about $53 million on a $25 million budget or so, but still, you know, the awards buzz, it seemed, I think it'll, it'll continue to do okay and, and kind of be within that oeuvre of uh, Wes Anderson films over time. I actually lost the bet about how much it would make, um, and as a result, now I have to watch all of the Wes Anderson filmography this year. Um, in, in a similar vein, you know, we have The Creator, which, you know, is kind of in the talks for visual effects um, for the Oscars. Now, that said, it made $98 million worldwide on an $80 million budget, um, $40 million of that being domestic, which, you know, having seen the film, you know, I, I can kind of understand it wasn't, you know, sci-fi always is really hard to capture the audience uh, and the general audience, right? Um, but the fact that this film looks as good as it does for only $80 million is actually kind of interesting from a box office producti- uh, production perspective. So, um, you know, if they can replicate this and use this to bring the cost down for some more intense uh, visual effects type stuff, you know, that could very, very well be something I think that could be replicated in the future. And kind of like the big elephant in the room, of course, we have uh, Killers of the Flower Moon that making $119 million worldwide so far, um, $52 million of that domestic. Now, this is, of course, the Apple TV slash Paramount production uh, from uh, Martin Scorsese, you know, three and a half hours long or something like that. Um, and, you know, it obviously ha- it had a budget of about $200 million, so definitely not going to be profitable a through-the-box office alone. I think, though, again, this was something that's going to be coming to streaming for Apple TV+. Plus. This is an investment on their end because they really want this film to do well at the awards season. So as someone who has an Oscars podcast, it is going to do very well this awards season. Um, so, you know, if, if if Apple can get kind of like be the place for author filmmakers to go to and have that budget, I mean, Apple is, has no shortage of money for them. So I think, you know, Surrey didn't make as much money on the box office um, that they would have liked it to, but I mean, it would never was intended for the. Yeah, it's meant to go to, to bring people to Apple TV Plus eventually. Uh, same thing coming up in a couple of weeks in Napoleon as well for Ridley Scott. 
Now, you know, I think the biggest deal, though, two, there, there are a couple of things here, right? I think the, one of the bigger trends I've noticed is that, you know, there's a relative floundering of, uh, you know, of performance of films based on existing IP, be them sequels, be it superhero fatigue or and the Marvel downturn in general, not to mention The Flash, of course. Uh, and of course, you know, we, we already mentioned Transformers, Indiana Jones, and even the Fast and Furious movies doing less than people were expecting, especially for how much was spent on them. Um, and, you know, there are also a couple of other films that, that are sequels, you know, that, that, that do have more care for them, that, that did okay. I think Creed 3, John Wick 4, um, Equalizer 3 actually also, you know, did pretty okay, $70 million uh, budget, yielding $92 million domestic and $185 million worldwide. Pretty decent reviews. I mean, if film, if, if the IP has care placed into it, obviously it kind of goes without saying you make a good movie that actually cares about it you'll get a good result Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is another example of this versus say Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanian and what looks like to be um, uh, the Marvels coming up uh, but you know looking just running through some other ones you know we had another Dracula based movie The Voyage of the Demeter $13 million opening uh uh, may, may, has made only $13 million domestic, uh, $20 million worldwide on a budget of $45 million. You know, Disney tried again with a Haunted Mansion movie the weekend after Barbenheimer, actually, making $114 million globally on a budget of $157 million domestic. As if not being profitable wasn't enough, it actually made less than the 2003 version of the film unadjusted for inflation, which is kind of wild. Uh, going back to DC, you know, the Blue Beetle, um, you know, again, it's kind of set up to die in August, right? With $25 million opening, $72 million domestic total, and $128 million worldwide for the first Latin superhero on the big screen. Unfortunate for them. Um, you know, we all, we all, we also had, you know, a couple years ago, there was a surprise Sark film, The Meg, um, which made 50, $527 million globally, $145 million domestic, um, made only $395 million globally, and, uh, and $82 million worldwide. Now, still okay for its $100 $29 million budget, but definitely not as successful as the first one was. The Gran Turismo movie was, you know, kind of hit or miss, a little bit short, $44 million domestically, $117 million worldwide on a budget of $60 million. Um, the former Juggernaut, My Big Fat Greek Wedding Part 3, uh, made $38 million worldwide and $28 million domestic on a budget of about $18 million. Uh, the Kenneth Branagh uh, Hercule Poirot film con continues with A Haunting in Venice, getting $60 million budget for a uh, $112 million worldwide take. And Expendables 4 made only $60 million worldwide on a budget of $100 million, which is kind of embarrassing. Now, you know, one of the things, there are some films, I think, that there was a lot of kill plays in them. I'm thinking Mission Impossible 7, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, Honor Amongst Thieves. Those obviously had a lot of care placed into them, but they would have done well, I think, if not for the timing, right? Like, um... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons was kind of sandwiched between, I believe, the Mario movie and John Wick Four, if I recall correctly. And Mission Impossible Seven came, you know, right after, right, right before, um, you know, the Barbenheimer phenomenon, which you know obviously took up a lot of the IMAX screens, you know, for Oppenheimer away from from Tom Cruise. And you know, they're going back to retool the sequel to the Part Two for Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously something where you know timing still matters here. Um, and of course, you know, that kind of brings us to the final big point here. Um, um, is you know make things a big uh, a big event right like I think the films that have done the best uh, so to speak are, are I think obviously Barbenheim which 
was a whole social media phenomenon. I myself went to, you know, delayed seeing um, the films until I could see them both back to back at the big IMAX screen here in, in New York, you know, Oppenheimer followed by Barbie, um, dressed up and everything, right, the weekend after they came out. Um, and then, you know, also Taylor, uh, the Taylor Swift movie, right? That was a thing from, you know, her tour has been a phenomenon on social media. Um, and obviously, right, she went directly to AMC, which is, you know, obviously great for them, not for the studios, um, you know, obviously during the strike, which we'll talk about in a second, and made this movie, which, you know, again, has had a really great performance. I actually made and lost a bet about the second week of the Taylor Swift uh, movie against Killers of the Flower Moon because I saw some numbers that suggested Killers of the Flower Moon might be doing better than expected. Bit me in the butt. Now I have to watch the Cats movie, actually. Um, but still, right? You know, Taylor Swift and her stance are, are a phenomenon. If, you know, you're watching the NFL, you definitely know this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift and Barbenheimer, I think. And to a lesser degree, I will also say probably... Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, you know, being the last James Gunn Marvel film was a, to some degree that Super Mario Bros. was to some degree for the kids, obviously. Um, and I would say the other kind of like big uh, cultural phenomenon type one was probably be um, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, right? Even though it was a day-and-date release, that particular young demographic went out to see this. And, you know, maybe that's another thing here, right? Maybe there is something about, you know, targeting the non-traditional, you know, male 18 to 35 tar- demographic. I mean, Barbie, right? Um, Taylor Swift, and of course, Five Nights at Freddy targets a younger demographic, right? We saw this thing also last year with Minions, right? So, you know, I think there's definitely something to be said here about how studios are going to need to think about what their slate of movies looks like and how they market those films, which brings us to the last point. Of course, the biggest news, right, um, aside from Barbenheimer, Taylor Swift and all that and the, and the, and the ongoing decline of Marvel – is, you know, the ongoing strikes in Hollywood, right? We we had, you know, the Writers Guild go first. Uh, they went for a strike for 148 days, um, and, you know, they ended up getting, you know, substantial wins. I'm not going to go through everything here. Other people have already covered that in depth. Um, but, you know, they got stuff like you know, for the writing rooms, staffing guarantees, you know, some degree of AI protection, Um but also for the first time, I, I want to say like 60 years or something like that, we had the writers and the actors going on strike at the same time. Um, and the actors strike is still ongoing, right? The most recent report from this week uh, is that, you know, the studios have given them, quote, their best and final offer, um, which, you know, is kind of like, you know, corporate bullshit, basically. But, um, you know, the, st- the SAG strike is, as of the time of writing, about 116, 117 days or so going on. Um, and it doesn't look like the most recent offer has enough AI protections, particularly for the background actors, which is, I think... Again, Again, stand with, stand with the guild, stand with the actors, you know, totally fair and justified that they want to put the, the, the line in the sand here. So, you know, many people are saying if a deal can't be reached this week or at the very latest by Thanksgiving, um, 2024 movie schedule, not to mention the TV slate, is pretty much screwed, right? We've already had a ton of movies getting pushed back. We already mentioned Dune. Disney also pushed back a lot of the Marvel slate and even some animated films, which... Honestly, the Marvel stuff being pushed back, I don't mind. Again, I've seen, I think there's been a, too much Marvel stuff going on lately. I'm actually at the point where after Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm probably not going to go see another Marvel movie until unless it's like Shang-Chi or something like that, right? Shang-Chi 2, because... Like, for this Marvel's movie, sure, I watched WandaVision for Doctor Strange, which WandaVision was okay, but the fact that I had to do homework for a movie didn't, like, that wasn't another movie doesn't feel great. And now I have to watch not only, you know, uh, WandaVision, but, you know, also have to watch Miss um, Marvel, which, you know, granted, I've heard that's pretty good, but also Secret Invasion, which wasn't really that well received. And I'm like, what is going on here, right? I don't really want to have to bother watching this. And if, you know, it, it looks really subpar just from the act, from the trailer so far. So 
yeah, I mean, Marvel's in kind of full panic mode. You also have the whole, you know, Jonathan Major things going on and how they have to reboot this whole um, this whole phase, mid-phase, right? Um, yeah, that's that's something where I think I'm, I'm, I'm checked out of Marvel at this point. Um, you know, the WGA, you know, in addition to, to the film slate being pushed back, right, the WGA also announced that the, their, their uh, Guild Awards would be pushed back to after the Oscars, actually, which is really interesting. And there isn't even a guarantee the Oscars will keep their date at this point in time. You know, things are definitely going to be interesting when it comes to trying to predict how things will shape out at the box office next year. If I had to call it right now, I would say we're going to see a decline in box office next year versus this year. Because of the lack of major tentpole films that are getting getting pushed back, um, and you know it's going to be a regression. It's not going to be say as bad as COVID levels, I think, but it's definitely going to be at a point where it's probably like 2022 levels of box office, um, as opposed to you know this year's, which would be up from last year. So it's going to be a bit of a regression, so to speak. Uh, in any case, I think that's enough for this week in terms of, you know, just catching up, you know, still catching up to how to do this whole podcasting thing after my unintentional break. I still have to, you know, get my bearings on what numbers to look at. And you know, I haven't even looked at the international box office lately. So, you know, this coming weekend, you know, we do have the wide expansion of awards, hopeful the holdovers. Um, and then Marvel, the Marvels, as I mentioned, is tracking somewhere in the 45 to $60 million range compared to $153 million from the one at the peak of the MCU craze. And we also have a Christian film, Journey to Bethlehem, which is set to make about 2 to $6 million dollars or so so um yeah that, that's what's coming up for this week anyway that's a wrap for this episode um if there's any big news from the box office from the last six months or so that i you know you want me to go ahead and talk about you know send me an email box office watch podcast at gmail.com or on twitter to x whatever it's called now bo watch podcast um, or so it's on spotify itunes google play make sure to subscribe leave a review at the very least tell a friend and yeah that helps links to all that will be in our show notes numbers and so come from dnumbers.com intro and outro music from kevin macleod adding competent of io editing production by ninsboy media until next time this has been the box office watch and remember our watch goes on yeah.